You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to my weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here in Keep Canada Weird, my pal handsome Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which we recorded during the evening of July 5th, 2022, we discuss some fake toonies, Calgary's hottest sculpture, and 10 Canadian snacks you can't get in the United States. So let's get to it. Handsome Aaron Airport. It's Tuesday, the 5th of July. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? I'm doing good. What's uh, what's new in your world? I know you're always a busy guy. You always have things happening. What do you have happening right now? We're uh, working on a few shows. So, um, yeah, I'm working on a dinner theater that's opening uh, next week at a local theater in Glace Bay. Oh. And um, also working on our Bare Naked Ladies tribute show that we're doing at the Highland Arts Theater in Sydney on uh, July 29th. Okay, that's coming up soon. I got to make it for that. I I believe I will be able to make it for that. So well, yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. So we're gonna cover the whole album front to back, um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. For people, for people who are in the area of Cape Breton who want to go see this, how do they get? To, how can you get tickets? Uh, they can go to HighlandArtsTheater.com. Mm-hmm. And they can order tickets there. They can call the Highland Arts Theater box office. Um, and it's starting to fill up. So I suggest you, uh, if you're interested and you're in the area of Sydney, Nova Scotia on July 29th, to check it out. Awesome. Um, other than that stuff, your professional pursuits, what's been going on? Anything weird or not weird? Or Anything weird? No, no. I, uh, I just been it's just work and rehearsals for me right now. Okay. And then this is the only non rehearsals thing that I've done in the past two weeks. Okay. Um, for me, I've been pressure washing. I don't know if you have a pressure washer, but I'm, uh, I'm a bit OCD with like cleaning and stuff. Uh, generally at every year I will pressure wash my, my deck, which I love to do. But since today, like I started pressure washing my deck this morning, since I had the pressure washer out and set up, I'm like, I'm going to pressure wash you know, my patio chairs. And then that turned into like, I'm going to pressure wash my fence. Mm. Anyway, my entire yard right now is like, it's like a swamp, but it's really clean at the same time. Yeah. Um, but that's what's been up with me. Other than that, uh, oh, I got a story here. Here's a, a weird Canadian story. So I was walking my youngest child to um, daycare this is two or three days ago. And he's on my shoulders. And we, he's on my shoulders and we're talking. I'm, I'm walking. And all of a sudden I heard this weird like clicking sound. And then I just saw this little bird like he full, like swooped down from the sky and went like just missed my kid's head who was on my shoulder. So I like <laughs> dodged the bird and my kid was like, whoa, what was that? And then I like looked behind me thinking like that bird like flying through the sky almost hit me for some inexplicable reason. Then I saw the bird turn around and dive back down a second time. Uh, so I dodged him again and my son is loving it. And I was kind of like trotting a little bit. I took like a couple quick steps because I'm thinking like, 
this little bird's trying to kill us. And then the bird, um, rather than for the third attack, rather than swooping down, he got on the ground and he was like running towards us, chirping wildly, chasing us. Uh, I was kind of freaked out because I was, I can only assume his beak is like a razor, but my son on my shoulders was absolutely loving it. Well, yeah, he probably felt safe being up on your shoulders, Uh, Yeah, whereas you're completely exposed to the maniac bird. Yeah, but anyway, we got away and didn't attack us. What do you think was happening? I'm I'm thinking it was either uh, like we were near its food source, but we were in the parking lot of a mini mall. Uh, If it wasn't a a food source, maybe it was... um, like eggs or whatever up in a tree and maybe it's like maybe um that would that would be my guess but if you're in a parking lot i mean i don't know how there's so many people that walk around in a parking lot so why were you singled out yeah maybe it was just freaked out to see like maybe it was something you're wearing i don't know like a a particular color or a pattern Mm -hmm. interesting if any bird um psychologists or scientists are out there maybe they can weigh in as far as the breed of bird i don't know i would say it wasn't a crow or a pigeon it was a small little thing kind of like there's a type of bird i don't know what they are but they're they're like the most common bird but you almost don't even see them because there's so many of them they're like Mm -hmm. smaller than a crow and they're like a dark brown they're literally everywhere yeah anyway but it was one of those guys wow well Um, you know you you got out with your life and you should be very thankful yeah, I live to tell about. I live to podcast about it. Well, especially with the uh, bird flu being so rampant these days, you know. No, that's monkeypox. No, the bird flu as well. The the uh, amongst the uh, avian community. <laughs> Are you a member? I'm not a bird. No. <laughs> um... No, but it is going around uh, the bird flu. All you know, they they say to be careful not to. Uh, you know, get too close to uh, to birds. You know, oh. especially dead ones. Okay, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have to tell me that. Actually, you wouldn't have to tell me, but you may have to tell some kids in my neighborhood. I was driving down the sh- my street not too long ago, and one of the, like these little neighborhood kids up the street approached my car, and they were like, "Jordan, look what we found!" And she holds her hands like cupping something, and she holds it up to my window, and it was this little like baby bird all skin and beak and it was just disturbing looking and i i was uh immediately disgusted i've never seen anyone like holding a baby bird like that uh mm-hmm. the story was she this little kid who showed me this thing was like a six-year-old or something or seven-year-old and i think what she said was she uh found it by a tree on her front yard so the bird must have fallen out of a nest or something and i wanted nothing to do with it i told her to go talk to her parents about it and i drove off Oh wow! So, you are uh, a helpful neighbor. I'm not an. I'm not a member of the neighborhood watch. No, no, the bird neighborhood bird watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember neighborhood watch from when we were kids? Oh yeah. Is that does that still happen? Oh yeah, it still does. Okay, seems like yeah. it. It's one of those things from back in the day that is now just like a Facebook group or something. Like, well, I, we had one um, in our neighborhood growing up mm-hmm. and uh, i remember when they were setting it up and they came to our house to talk to us about it and you know, we had to put the stickers up and mm-hmm. all that stuff we had a little my dad then we were, just start watching just start watching your neighbors it's like you don't have to ask me to watch my neighbor i already am yeah we had a um, my dad's house we had like a, it was like a yellow sign or sticker in our, our front window um mm-hmm. 
I wonder if it was like a picture of an eye or something. It was like an eyeball. Eyeball with like a house in the foreground, mm-hmm. I think. But um, I it would be interesting to go through the history of that group because I wonder if there are as many instances where somebody took neighborhood watch responsibilities way too far. Um. Yeah, I would say it happens in probably every single neighborhood watch program that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. There's always one neighbor that's decked head to toe in camouflage and you know has trenches dug in their yard and doing surveillance constantly like night vision goggles and always it's like the movie the burbs you ever watch that i love that movie early film yeah that's that i love that movie too it's one of my favorites and uh and just how nosy the neighbors are and they're constantly watching each other's houses all the time and reporting on what's going on um well let's get into it we got to keep canada weird uh, we got a, a loaded deck tonight, and, and it isn't about neighborhood watcher birds. What we got to talk about here is a very hot sculpture in Calgary. We're going to talk about fake toonies and the plight of the fake toonie. And we are going to talk about an amazing Canada Day celebration in Vancouver. And then... One of the more interesting topics for people who listen to this show from beyond Canada is uh, I found a list of some Canadian snacks you can't get abroad. Specifically, you can't get yeah. in the United States. And that's a cool I found topic. that one really interesting. We should save that for the main event. Yeah, we should. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start. Uh, I let you I let you decide always. So you've just decided that we're going to do the Canadian snacks you can't get abroad uh, last. Yes. But what are we going to mm-hmm. do first? Let's start with um, the Toonies. So first of all, for people who are listening from beyond Canada, uh, you may not know that in Canada we have a $1 coin, which we call a loonie. And I think it's called a loony because it has a picture of a loon. Of a loon, yeah. Which is like a kind of water bird. And then we now have a $2 coin that since we have the loony for one, we have a toonie, which is the $2 coin. Mm-hmm. And it has kind of a cool design because it's it's not, it's like it's a silver coin, but in the center of the silver coin, there's like a separate gold colored coin embedded in it, I guess yeah, is the way I would and- describe it. And do you remember this article brought back memories of, um, you know, in the late 90s when the Toonie first came out, mm-hmm. um, the first round of Toonies had a, a default with them where um, if you tried hard enough, you could pop the center out. I Like I can remember people being like, oh, the Toonies, it's crazy. The things break if you even, you know, and, but it, and then they well, just kind of disappeared. The bank was offering money to people if they were to bring in uh defected toonies and so um or at least that's what we were told is that if you bring into the bank toonies with the center popped out you know if the center fell out of your toonie you could bring it in and then they would give you like 20 bucks or something really because i feel like i could easily just with a nail and a hammer i could knock out that center well that brings me to my next memory is that People, when they were getting the toonies in my high school, would they would just see them outside, just like hitting them with rocks and like trying to knock <laughs> the center out so they could bring them into the bank. So I don't know if it was true that the bank would give you money for... No, why would they? 
they would well, give because you... they wanted to get them off the streets and encourage people to bring them in was what i was told no but again i don't know if it's true or not but anyway the rumor was real you know yeah. the fact that there's enough people who believe that to be true uh-huh. that in my high school everybody was beating their toonies with rocks trying to get the center <laughs> uh that's hilarious well um let's get to the article because toonies are in the news again for a weird reason uh it's all about counterfeit coins which is not something you'd expect from one of our lowest denomination of currency as denomination the right word two dollar piece would be like a denomination of canadian currency um Anyway, let me t- let me tell you about this. The RCMP's recent discovery of thousands of counterfeit toonies has raised concerns about the integrity of Canada's banking system, through which these counterfeit coins circulate with ease. And it also raises an interesting question. Why would anyone counterfeit the lowly toonie? The answer may well lie in China, where the RCMP allege the camel toe toonie originated. The camel toe toonie is named that due to the conspicuous defect, which is a flaw in the polar bear's paw. So on the front of a toonie, the animal is a polar bear, and the way you can most easily identify the counterfeit toonie is by looking at one of the paws. It has a camel toe look. Mm-hmm. So let me continue. Dai Zong He, a 68-year-old of Richmond Hill, Ontario, was arrested last month and charged with uttering counterfeit money and possession of counterfeit money. The RCMP say the charges stem from a nearly year-long investigation during which it identified and seized about 10,000 counterfeit toonies from the Canadian banking system. Mike Marshall, a coin expert in Ontario who has given seminars on identifying counterfeits, said he bought five rolls of toonies in October of 2020 and identified 26 as counterfeit. Each featured the same distinctive flaw. The polar bear's front right paw had a large split toe appearance. Michelle Richardson, a spokesperson for the Royal Canadian Mint, which produces Canada's coins, said the mint detected the fakes last summer through its random sampling. She said it's exceptionally rare to find fake toonies, but it's not unprecedented. Now, while the comparative quality of counterfeits is in the eye of the beholder, the RCMP said in a statement that the camel toe toonie are far more convincing than any prior samples. Their weight, for instance, was nearly identical to that of the genuine article. But they nevertheless included notable defects, the most obvious being the polar bear's crude right front paw. This is the first foreign-based counterfeiting ring of Canadian coins that the Mint is aware of. But the coin's putative origin in China doesn't surprise collectors who are accustomed to seeing Chinese-made replicas of rare collectible coins. Mr. Marshall estimated that millions of camel toe toonies are in circulation, initially found in BC, then Ontario, and now Quebec. Uh, Then Quebec, and now they're all across the country. And what's more, Mr. Mackey and Mr. Marshall say they've seen entire boxes of toonies straight from the bank that contained not a single genuine coin. Mr. Marshall said police could have started investigating when they were first alerted about the counterfeits in 2020, and the attempts to get public officials and media interests were fruitless. Because it was just coins, nobody reacted. Everybody went, yeah, right, who's going to counterfeit a toonie? And that's exactly why you counterfeit a toonie, because nobody looks. That's how it ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, kind of an ingenious scheme, I guess. If you can produce them fast enough and efficiently enough, 
uh, it wouldn't be very hard to get toonies within the you know in the market but how do you no. take how do you take a like let's say you have a truckload you have 500,000 toonies how do you convert that into any kind of substantial bills like how would you launder that i've never uh produced counterfeit money or um worked in any kind of operation that did okay the only thing i could think of one option uh, my first thought was you could go to like casinos and stuff and spend them, mm-hmm. but that, but that's, I don't know. That's a little weird. I think what would be better is if you knew someone who like ran, like say a laundromat or some, you ran a business that people pay in coin and they had a time and, and you know, you just add it, let's say 5,000, $10,000 of fake toonies every month when they're doing their, I don't know, deposits or something that could be a way, a way to slowly use them in bulk. Yeah, I guess that that could be a way. Um, it's it seems, yeah, it seems like a lot of work. Uh, but yeah, the but with a big payoff if you can get away with it. They say I think the article that we just went through said they suspect there's like a, over a million of them. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money, and you know if you can have a if oh if you can in China let's say have some someone manufacturing them and it's only costing say 50 cents a piece to manufacture them and you're making a dollar 50 on every one if you can bring a million of them to canada and get them into our you know system it's mm-hmm. a lot of, that's a, someone's going to try to do it if they can get away with it and it seems like well they did arrest this guy but for the most part yeah but i don't know to me it's it's so much there's so many other uh, fruitful illegal activities out there that that one can get into i guess if you're if you're someone who's extremely experienced in the counterfeit money you know game then <laughs> i don't know it's, it's... Uh, there's counterfeit everything and it often comes from yeah. i don't know why china but there's like a big market well, for- i think it's the manufacturing abilities like you know like where you could manufacture whatever yeah um, and uh, and and then have it only be you know and just we you wouldn't be seen by anybody mm-hmm. do you do you ever go on ally express do you know what that is i've heard about it okay. um yeah um i know i know people who use yeah. it for for shopping and for stuff. people who don't know it's people people often say it's the chinese ebay and it's you you can go on it i go there often and i buy stuff the, mm-hmm. um, it's dirt cheap and it's almost exclusively knockoffs uh and the big issue with it other than the quality and the fact that you're probably supporting um somebody who's committing like you know trademark infringement or something is uh stuff that gets sent to you it takes forever like i'll buy yeah, yeah. just as an example let's say there's like a component i need for an electric guitar that i'm making i can get it in canada from amazon or whatever for 45 bucks and i and it'll show up on my door three days later but i could go on aliexpress and instead of paying 40 bucks i can get the same almost the same thing you know for four dollars but it may take mm-hmm. a month and a half to get to me yeah Um, yeah but anyway it's uh yeah it's in in conclusion i don't i I don't know that kind of operation of of integrating counterfeit toonies into undetected into the canadian market seems like a lot of work yeah you're right so i'm gonna i'm not gonna suggest anyone does it i mean we could try and that way at least we'll know yeah that could be a spin-off. Maybe if we'll do a follow-up episode if we can get 
the manufacturing down. I don't know anything about melting metals or building molds, but that's probably the first step. But I'm sure there's a listener out there who wants to, you know, help us out with this. And maybe they could, they could um, assume the manufacturing of it and then we'll, we'll be the, the boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, this story makes me want to look at my tunies to see if I can find the camel toe. The camel toe, yeah. Yeah, and if anyone has finds one on a coin, send me a photo of it. I would like to see among the listeners of Nighttime how quickly someone can be like, oh, wow, I have a counterfeit toonie. So I'm going to be checking mine mm-hmm. from now on. And I, and I don't know what uh, I would do. Yeah, yeah. I'll, Maybe- I'll look, I guess. I don't, I don't handle toonies very often anymore. Uh, you know, like I just don't. I rarely ever have change at all. Mm-hmm. And if you find, uh, here's another thing, actually, maybe we shouldn't look at our toonies because if I find one and I know it's counterfeit, I'm not going to want to use it at a store or something. So I think I'd rather not know. And I'm going to let the, like the banks and whoever deals with that stuff. As far as out. I'm concerned, it's not my problem. But if, you, <laughs> if, but I, if I have you... a toonie, I'm going to spend it, you know, whether it's counterfeit or not. You've been ripped off. Somebody gave you a counterfeit coin and yeah well i don't know if they gave it to me maliciously like yeah but well either way they could have spent it at a corner store and then that got passed to somebody and then yeah exactly but this and i'll pass it to somebody else um i have no problem with that that's the stance you're taking all right i would feel bad Mm. i would want to get it why would you feel bad if you got a counterfeit if you found in your change purse whatever you keep your change in my and you're like, oh, this this toonie has a camel toe. Yeah, I guess it's. How are you uh, really gonna feel? I'll are feel. Are you gonna care at all? Yeah, I'd be pissed. Why? I'd be pissed that it happened that I got one, but and mainly I'd be pissed that not pissed, but I would feel bad about going into a store or paying with what I know is a fake coin, even though I'm not maliciously doing it and someone didn't give it to me maliciously. I would still be like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to give you a fake coin, so I would. Um, I would just spend it. I have to be honest. Okay, yeah, I'm not of what I'm gonna now, do. No, I wouldn't do that with a counterfeit fifty or a counterfeit hundred dollar bill or something, but a counterfeit toonie, buying a coffee t- at Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah that's Hortons. it. I'll go to Tim's. That's what we'll do. We'll okay. gather up all of the counterfeit toonies we can find and go get a loaded and we'll just bowl. Go and buy stuff at Tim Hortons. Yeah, I'm gonna get one of the loaded bowls. Their new product. Let's move on. Okay, I will. Yeah. Okay. So, from the fake toonies, uh, do we want to get into a very hot sculpture in Calgary? Or an amazing Canada Day celebration in Vancouver. Now let's get into the sculpture, and then let's land the episode home with uh, two juggernauts. Okay. All right. I love the headline of this article, and that's how we'll start. Calgary sculpture less likely to burn clothing, and now accepts text messages. So that's like, what? What could this mm-hmm. mean? But this all relates to a really cool-looking uh, public art installation. I guess the way I would describe it to someone is imagine, I don't know, an eight, that'll probably give the dimensions as we go, but imagine like a 10 foot tall, big ball of um, highly polished metal and reflective, almost mirror-like. But then you cut the ball down the center and kind of open it up and put a smaller ball underneath it. Also of that same highly polished and highly reflective 
mirror-like metal texture. That's what this, uh, what the art installation looks like. But now the article will tell us about some problems they've been having with it. A notorious piece of public art, famous for burning a hole in a visitor's jacket, is back on public display in Calgary after some safety testing. This time, the city is confident it will have a tamer and a less heated experience. The $700,000 sculpture, called the Wishing Well, was first installed in, uh, in front of the Genesis Center of Community Wellness in Northeast Calgary in 2012. On a sunny day in 2014, the polished stainless steel culture, sculpture singed a visitor's jacket as they stood inside admiring the work. The city then removed the sculpture for safety reasons. After eight years of sitting in dark storage away from public view, the sculpture is now back, but this time it's in Bridgeland. Ensuring a safe return for the sculpture wasn't easy, said Julie Yepishna Geller, the public art liaison for the city of Calgary. It took extensive testing in a controlled lab environment in consultation with artist group Living Lenses of San Francisco. Living, Len Living Lenses really came to the table, she said. Their main goal was to have this piece back into the public realm, same as ours. The two polished stainless steel hemispheres were originally reflective inside and out, cradling an equally reflective sphere in between, so officials opted to dull the inside. To further reduce the risk of a heated encounter, the sculpture was placed at a 20-degree angle. And then there was the issue of location. The wishing well is an incredibly heavy piece, weighing 2,200 kilograms, so an indoor space is not possible. And that's where the Bridgeland location came in thanks to a private-public partnership with developer JEMM Properties, the move and installation of the sculpture won't cost Calgarians any more tax dollars, and it's now in a public outdoor plaza with seating. And with its return, the Wishing Well has got some new tech. Visitors can send text messages to 1587-327-9939 in the form of a greeting or a wish. The words from the messages get processed into braille text dots that play music, sounds, or voices that can be heard by standing inside of the sculpture. Ward, uh, Ward 9 counselor Guyan Carlo Cara said the sculpture's return is one example of how Calgary's public art program has matured in recent years. Um, I'm going to end it with that. I think we got we covered mm. the moment. We don't. I'm not as interested in how Calgary's public art has uh, matured, but I'm very interested in uh, public art exhibits going wrong and attacking people, and in this case, yeah. burning them. When you look at the the image of the thing, I'm surprised that that wasn't a concern. Like anyone who's yeah, done... it kind of surprised me too that the, that it wasn't predicted that this thing could possibly get boiling hot in this because <laughs> it, it looks dangerous. It's uh, it's almost like um, yeah the you know when you're a kid and you use the magnifying glass to project the sun's rays and fry ants or oh, were you a, you were you an ant fryer when you were a child uh not so much ants but i would burn like sticks and or toys melt my toys stuff okay. like that but um that's good anyway when i see this i it looks almost like some kind of weird f futuristic kind of piece of weaponry that could direct the sun's rays to fly like a, or to fry an invading enemy ship or something of that nature uh i want to mm -hmm. go back I, I didn't do this but i'd like to go back and find the news stories uh, as well about the uh about back i think it said in 2014 when buddy had his jacket singed mm -hmm. yeah <laughs>
Yeah, that, imagine just, you know, on a gorgeous, hot summer's day, checking out an art installation downtown, and next thing you know, you spontaneously combust. Yeah, but uh, I would again, I wouldn't be surprised. But public art, um, it it often can be dangerous. And here in Halifax, I have there, I can just think of like one city block where there are two very dangerous pieces of public art. One is a a very famous thing in Halifax. People just call it the Wave, and it's a big. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I think it's made of concrete, and it just looks like mm. a I don't know, like a large wave. It's probably fifteen feet high, and um every day that you go and it's right on our waterfront and any day you go down there there's a bunch of kids sitting up on the top of it or or running up Mm -hmm. and down it and it's painted so it's kind of slippery so kids will slide down it yeah i'm um, just totally shocked that nobody has fallen to their death off of that thing i'm surprised no one's fallen to their death but people have fallen to their broken wrists and ankles Mm -hmm. endlessly i have a family member who is a, a surgeon but they during their practicum like when a doctor's going through the steps they worked in the um emergency room in halifax for a summer and what they had told me was like every second day someone came in who was injured on the wave came to the emergency really? room okay. with like you know either a concussion or a broken wrist or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> now the thing that i find the most interesting about this art installation is that you can text it and then it'll replay your messages you know as music or words or whatever so how does it um filter out dirty texts because my first instinct would be to text penis or boobies or you know eat my butt or whatever (laughs) to the thing and i'm just wondering do they have an algorithm that 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 filters out naughty texts. No, it, if they do, it's not good enough. I, I would. Yeah, fa- there's I always promise ways you. to get it in there. Yeah, yeah, you can just spell it wrong or like spell things that when it tries to pronounce them, it sounds like a curse. It's just like a, with license plates. You know, they they have like a list. We talked about mm. this before. Is there yeah, was like the, the grabber guy. Yeah, there's a billion words or whatever they have at it that you can't have in a license plate, but. You can trick it. Come on. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to know. I, I'd like to get in touch with some kids, and some teenagers in Calgary and see how they're messing around. Oh, with I'm that. sure they have a, I'm sure it's, this is every Friday night for them. <laughs> yeah. um, well, anyway, we'll see what happens with it. If I ever go to Calgary, I'll try to get it to say something hilarious. Or if we know anybody in Calgary who can text this thing a naughty word and then see and then have some kind of video evidence of of what it produces. So we talked about fake toonies. We talked about a very hot sculpture in Calgary. Now, Mm -hmm. do you want to get into uh, a wild Canada Day in Vancouver? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, quickly touch on this one because our last one is probably going to take up a bit of time. Yeah, you're right. Magic Mushrooms and strong edibles sold on Vancouver Beach on Canada Day. A downtown Vancouver Beach became an open-air market for magic mushrooms and strong cannabis products on Canada Day. In an email to CTV, Constable Tanya Vicentin with the, Cal- with the Vancouver Police Department said up to 100 tents were set up on Sunset Beach and some vendors arrived as early as 4 a.m. Friday to secure a spot. Most vendors were selling magic mushrooms and cannabis products, including edible products containing up to 200 milligrams of THC, 
far stronger than the 10 milligram of THC permitted under Canadian law. So <laughs> 20 times. Uh, anyway, the production and sale of magic mushrooms is illegal in Canada. In an email, the Vancouver Park Board describes the event as, a, as cannabis activation and said none of the vendors had permits, but did not and said none of the vendors had permits, but did not provide any information regarding fines for bylaw infringements. The Vancouver Police Department said up to 1,500 people attended the event throughout the day, and there were no major issues. Constable Visitin said no fines were issued by police because there wasn't anything criminal that happened. Well, there was, though, I, that, wasn't there? <laughs> they, yeah, just, like, they, they named off like eight things that they were doing illegally, and then they're like, yeah, but we didn't know issuing fines because they weren't doing anything wrong. Uh, I don't get this event. So was the whole event just based on like we're having this crazy magic mushroom and super powerful weed day on Canada Day? Yeah. Um, I mean, chances are in these people's lives, every day is that day. I, I just I don't get what the nature of this event is other than just like 1400 people getting super high on a beach on Canada Day mm -hmm. and seemingly advertising it in advance. Yeah, and setting up booths and not having permits and um, selling, uh, you know, if I was in illegal Vancouver, drugs. If I was in Vancouver, I would, I don't know, I kind of would want to be there for it, not to partake, but just to no, kind of watch. Yeah, like just I would to, show. To... Yeah, I would show up at like you know eleven a.m. Let's say when they've already had a couple hours to start. I'd have a coffee and I'd just sit on a bench with sunglasses mm. on, being like, "This is going to be a wicked day." Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> would you yeah. join me? absolutely i would do that that all would right. be a nice day for us yeah well let's get into uh the big ticket here all right so it's no secret that there are a lot of like snack foods that are commonplace around canada things we've known and loved our entire lives that for whatever reason are not available even in the united states and if you like anyone who's had friends visit from America or whatever, um, well, they probably noticed some of these things. And it's it's actually it, I've on more than one occasion have mailed coffee, uh, mailed chocolate bars to uh, friends in America because they can't get them down there. Certain certain ones. We'll get into into them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, I found a collection of seven common Canadian snacks that you can't get in the U.S. And a bit of the backstories on why. Uh, the, the research behind this was done by CBC. This is like based on a CBC list that this is several years old, um, but it's still very current. So I'm going to go through them one by one. And the first one is um, it, it's not a surprise. This, I think, is probably the most common is ketchup chips. Yeah, yeah. That's a common one that uh, that people do kind of know about. Mm -hmm. it, but it, I didn't realize it until I think in my mid 20s, I was working at a call center and they had someone from like Seattle or something was down training us in some program. Mm -hmm. And he just learned about ketchup chips. We we're like, oh, yeah, you know, what kind of chips do you want? Like, there's a vending machine there or something. And he's like, ketchup chips. Like, what's that? <laughs> he's like, we don't have that at all. Yeah. I was like, really? I thought I assumed that was just at the time. I assumed it was just a common chip flavor all over the world. But yeah, and beyond, it's kind of like if you had to say like what the big four flavors were. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of like you know, there's plain chips, there's ketchup chips, there's barbecue, and there's salt and vinegar. 
I would say those are the big four. And sour cream and onion. Yeah. But I would say ketchup is more common than sour cream and onion. Mm. Or the, well, let's say the big five then. Those are the big let's five Let's say flavors. the big five, yeah. And they've been the big five flavors since we were kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, here's what uh, CBC had to say is, this is inexplicably a Canadian classic. The ketchup chip has quite a complicated history, though. Invented in the 70s, the ketchup chip came to be when Hostess, which is now Lay's, rolled the dice on a line of fruit-flavored chips, like orange and grape. Since you've never heard of grape chips before, you can imagine how that went. But their final experiment, a tomato-based flavor, has woven itself into our cultural fabric. Of course, they've tried to emulate this south of the border, um, but the attempts have either been limited in circulation or discontinued entirely. Clearly, this means American citizens do not have a distinguished enough palate for such a gourmet offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, and I there's just, someone even in the chat right now that just said they had never heard of ketchup chips. Oh, that's bizarre. But it's mm-hmm. th- to describe the flavor, I, I say it's it's almost like they're similar to barbecue, but yeah, different. It's it's I have to be honest, it's my least favorite chip flavor. Uh, I I don't mind ketchup chips. I'll take. I don't ketchup mind chips. it. I eat them. Like you know, if I was like looking for a snack and all I had was ketchup chips, I'd eat the chips. But they're not. They're low, low on my list in terms of. I, I've never purchased ketchup chips. Um, I've eaten them. Ones that other people have bought and had in their houses and out in bowls or whatever. But yeah, ketchup chips low on my list. Now let's mm-hmm. get into the second. This is another surprising one. It's a it's a a candied chocolate offering, commonly known as Smarties. Yeah, this one blew me away. Yeah, it, it seems like everyone in the world should have Smarties. And again, just like ketchup chips, since I was a kid, Smarties have just been. I wouldn't say iconic. They've just been like a a, a given when you go to a candy aisle. And it was all yeah, Smarties and M and M's. You know, like it was. What's your favorite? What do you like better? Smarties or M&M's? You know, yeah. like it's just and you, and I just assumed my entire life up until tonight that Smarties were everywhere. Oh, you didn't know. I, I didn't I know. Did not this. Know. No. Um, but Smarties, again, almost exactly like M&M's. The big difference, I believe, is that Smarties, they're both like a little piece of chocolate that have a candied coating coating. I think Smarties have a, a more flavorful and crunchier candy coating. That's how I would describe the difference. But it's been probably 30 years since I've had a Smarty, oh. so I can't really I've had M&Ms periodically throughout my life. Hmm. But um Smarties not so much. Well, let me tell you that what CBC has to say about it. We'll never know if Americans eat the red ones last because Smarties are a Canuck-centered chocolate. It's not that Nestle won't sell Smarties in the US. So that they can't. If you ask for Smarties in the States, you'll get a tablet candy more similar to what we know as Rockets. And that's because there's already a Smarties company in America, which is known for just that. Furthermore, with Nestle Canada being a subsidiary of the UK Nestle, there's a British version of Smarties that, while very similar, have their own distinct differences mm-hmm. so i guess there's already a company called smarties in the u.s yeah that are just more a sugar closed candy. door now for for smarties too bad um yeah well it's a shame but I, I wouldn't necessarily miss those but this next one um gives me the warm and fuzzies that we have it in canada uh 
probably not a big surprise because I've often seen people say, in the United States, you can buy an automatic rifle, but you can't buy a Kinder Surprise. Mm-hmm. You know what, uh, for Americans, um, sadly, don't get to enjoy Kinder Surprise. What this is is a, a chocolate egg, and it's not just cheap, crappy chocolate. It's delicious, it's really good chocolate, delicious yeah. chocolate. And inside is a... Um, a toy, a, like a small toy that generally you have to build. It'll come with instructions on how to build the little toy. So there'll be inside the chocolate egg, there's like a, like a plastic egg, I guess. And inside that plastic egg, which is inside the chocolate egg, there'll be an instruction booklet and maybe six little pieces of plastic that you put together to make, you know, whatever the thing may be. Yeah, whatever it is, a little boat or a little astronaut or something whatever the nonsense is but but it's funny now that i think about it, i've never really considered the choking option with uh, kinder surprise that somebody might just completely inhale the whole egg and accidentally swallow the small toy yeah and i'm sure i don't know why they're not available in the u.s but i'm guessing it's going to be the idea of marketing a product towards kids that is chocolate with tiny, tiny little pieces little of plastic. Pieces of, yeah, yeah. No, I think they're wrapped up in a package or something. But but still, yeah, it's still. all ending up in the same hand. It's just uh, we. Why even take the risk? You know, yeah. like you know. Let's read why they're not available there. I'm thinking that's what it's going to be. That is uh, what it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this isn't a Canadian original. The Kinder Surprise is an Italian creation by Ferrero, but this irresistible egg with a prize inside quickly became an honorary Canadian treat. So why isn't this snack surprise available in the States, a country that was founded on Cracker Jacks? Because that's banned. In the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, foods containing inedible items inside them, like toys, are outlawed due to the potential choking hazard it presents. And if you think this law is too old to possibly be in force, it was written in the 30s, U.S. border guards have been known to confiscate the Kinder Surprise. Wow. So here's the thing, though. In, in the United States, can you not get, like, toys and cereal or... Well, like you this? don't even see that anymore anyway. Yeah, it's true. Not um, like... Like, when we were kids, cereal boxes always had, like, a surprise toy or, or some kind of a collectible item on the inside. Um, and then you're pouring out the bowl, like, you know, normally you would get the, get home and before you even eat a bowl, you would dig your grubby little grass stained hands in there and, and, and find the toy first before you even poured any cereal out. Yeah. So then the, the box would get put back all puffed out because you had like opened it up and stuffed your hand in there. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. you don't see that anymore. Like you don't see, when you look at the cereal aisle now in a grocery store, there's no toys. No, I kind of remember it being phased though, because it got to a point yeah. where there wouldn't be toys, but like on the inside of the box would be a code that you can use or, you know, whatever. But it's kind of a shame. Um, it was fun. Let's get to the next one. This one, I also feel bad for Americans for. They do not have Joe Louis. Yeah, yeah. Which, which also tells me they don't have Super Joe Louis, which are like the double. And these, how would you describe this? I guess it's like a... It's like a, well, it's a... The cousin of a Twinkie. Yeah, it, to me, it's like, a, it's like a, it's almost like a piece of cake with a, kind of a white uh, how about cream this? in the center and Imagine if, if covered a, in chocolate. If a cake and a burger 
got together and had a baby, it would be a Joe Louis. So think of it as like two thin pieces of cake, which are like the bun. Uh, and then instead of a burger patty mm. in the center, you just put some whipped cream. Then you put the two buns together. So you have like buns with whipped cream in the center, but you don't eat it yet. You dunk the whole thing in chocolate. So it's a chocolate covered mm-hmm. burger made out of two cake buns with whipped cream instead of a patty. That mm-hmm. And then a Super Joe Louis, if you've ever had one of those, it's the same idea. But then imagine instead of it being a cake having a baby with a burger, it's a cake having a baby with a um, Big Mac because it has like the three or it has yeah. two patties of whipped cream, I guess is the way I would put mm-hmm. it. Uh, I love Joe Louis. They're very good. I enjoy them, too. So let's find out why they can't get it in the U.S. Need a little more chocolate? Behold, a Canadian classic. Many regard the Joe Louis as Canada's hand cake answer to the American ding dong, but they've got it all wrong. The Joe Louis actually predates the 1960s invented ding dong. The Quebec, the Quebec-based Vachon Company, which was invented, which invented the Joe Louis in 1932. The Joe Louis name has also caused a bit of a misunderstanding. The pronunciation of JOS as Joe. Because it's spelled J-O-S, but mm-hmm. it's called Joe Louis. The pronunciation of J-O-S as Joe has created the assumption that the snack was named after legendary American boxer Joe Louis, when actually it's named in honor of the Vachon sons, J-O-S, Joss, Jos, and Louis. And take a close look inside the snack. That's right. Joe Louis was red velvet before red velvet was cool. I don't know what they mean by that. Red velvet I think cake. The, is like... um, the cake is kind of a red velvety kind of cake. It's not okay. like a standard uh, dark brown. It's a yeah. it's a more of a reddish uh, color. I wouldn't have expected that these have been around since the 30s, but no, no. And um, I wasn't even aware that that was a strictly Canadian company. Yeah, but now that I think of it, Vachon, that's definitely mm-hmm. French. But I would have assumed it was from France or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah pastry, you know. Yeah, well, I'm glad we got it in Canada. No, I feel I feel special. Now, this next one is a—they're all kind of surprising me, but this, this next one, one, yeah, this one is the biggest shocker. The entire world needs to have this, and that is yeah. a coffee crisp chocolate bar. Yeah, this one truly made me fall over when I. They're missing Realize out, right? that it's Canadian. It's a Canadian thing. Again, like we said with ketchup chips being one of the big five chips. Mm-hmm. Now, let's not think of all the modern candy, like the modern chocolate bars. But if you think of chocolate bars that have been around since we were kids, if I had to think of like the big five, I'd be thinking like, I don't know, uh, Kit Kat. Snickers, Kit Kat, Coffee Crisp. Mars, um, Arrow. Mars, you know. Oh, I'm not even going to utter the name of uh, of Reese. But. Yeah. <laughs> so let's try it again. Kit Kat, uh, Arrow Bars, Snickers, um, Snickers Bars, um, Coffee Crisp. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of oh, like Henry. But even that is kind of like I call that like a second generation bar because I kind of remember when they came out. Well. Coffee Crisp is one of my go-to bars. Like that's it's, yeah, that's it's, one of my favorite bars. It's always been one of my favorites, and I, the name is weird because it doesn't really taste like coffee. It's I would just it's got kind of a coffee taste to it. I find I yeah, can I, I can agree with the name. I've been drinking or eating Coffee Crisp bars 
since I was, you know, seven years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly wasn't drinking coffee then. Um, let's see why it's not available beyond Canada. So this is another concept you'd swear was a south of the border invention. A coffee-flavored chocolate bar, but it's actually a Canadian variation on a British treat. Originating from Roundtree's Wafer Crisp, which itself has also morphed into the Kit Kat, it was a Canadian variation that was popular enough to last when Nestle took over the company. The bar has been courted by Americans. An online position, uh, petition took six years to bring the crisp to the U.S., though the marketing and distribution was discontinued in 2009. So it's only Canadians that like their coffee crisp. Mm. Uh, I never thought of that as the coffee crisp certainly is like the, you know, the, a distant, maybe not even distant, but just a cousin of the Kit Kat bar. It's similar. Yeah, although I don't really, I would never compare the two. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one I don't really care too much about. Uh, a Nestle product, the Big Turk bar, which is yeah, a Turk. Yeah, this is a store. bar that I'm always shocked it's even sold. Yeah. Like how, how many people are buying the Big Turk? That is a, I call that like an old person bar. I can only imagine like my grandfather. I've never seen an, another human being in my life eat a Big Turk ever. Well, let's find out why they're not available in the U.S. Speaking of Nestle, they have another bar whose taste is even more unique. The Big Turk is a retro-looking Canadian original, a thin layer of chocolate covering pink Turkish delight, also known as locum. If you're wondering what Turkish delight even is, it's a sugary, starchy mixture that creates a hard, gel-like treat. You've had it at your grandmother's, probably. It was never sold in America. The Big Turk also holds a statistic over its Canadian counterparts. The 60 gram bar only contains 3.5 grams of fat. I didn't know that. I but didn't know that either. It's I would just call it like a chewy mess. I just call it a mistake. You're not missing anything Americans. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't come don't don't sign any petitions for the Big Turk. Yeah. Next, feel bad for them. They cannot get pink cream soda, which is isn't that like when you say pink cream soda, isn't all of our cream soda pink? I think cream soda traditionally is clear, isn't it? I don't know. When I think of cream soda, I'm always thinking of like the pink. Me too. That's where cream. I, yeah, that's where my mind goes immediately. But hmm. if it's not pink, <laughs> what is it? Yeah. If you're getting a little thirsty, prepare to drink in this odd Canadian conspiracy. Now, yes, cream soda is sold all over the world, but what color is it? If you said reddish pink, then you're Canadian. For some yet unanswered reason, cream soda only seems to be sold this color in Canada. Crush, one of the top cream soda producers, has a wholly American history. Founded in California in 1916, after creating their most famous orange crush soda, which led them to a host of other flavors. However, it's only in Canada that their pink cream soda is sold with zero public explanation of this national phenomenon. That is bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's I th- weird. Yeah. I've, I, when I think of cream soda and it's not just crush when you buy like a big two liter of like no name cream soda, wouldn't it be like that reddish pinkish color? Well, someone in the chat said the A and W one is clear. Hmm. So I, I'm going to have to look next time at the grocery store and see, um, how how the majority of them are sold the next one yeah. isn't so much a retail product it's just kind of a snack that i think people just bake them i'm not too fond of 
Nanaimo bars. Oh like? no, I they're delicious. Um, how would you describe a Nanaimo bar to someone who has never experienced one? Oh, like it's like a layer of chocolate. Like there's like a, it's almost like a graham, like a chocolate graham kind of um, base with like. Like a creamy kind of second layer. in the center and then like chocolate on top. But like there's something about it. It's like, it's, it's like it's such a refreshing taste. Like I'm not sure what is in yeah. it, but and, um, and not only the it's taste... got this cooling kind of uh, taste to it. Like Yeah, they're, yeah. they're generally sold chilled. Mm-hmm. And it's not so, it's not only the taste, it's the texture that's important too. I think when you bite it in when you bite into an Nanaimo bar, you're going if you're going from the top down, it's more like uh, a very sweet chocolate followed by a, a a soft creamy kind of thing, and then you get to the bottom, which is kind of like a crispier sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. it's a cool kind of layer to it. But let's let's read about it. While many other snacks on this list have roots elsewhere, the Nanaimo bar is a Canadian treat born and bred. Though its origins are not quite clear, the classic recipe, which is a layered sandwich of waffle crumb, then custard, topped with melted chocolate squares, first appeared in BC in the 1950s, though the city of Nanaimo has claimed it as its own. Oh, though the city of Nanaimo has claimed it as its own. There have been some variations, People called it the New York Bar or the London Fog, but Nanaimo has held strong in its namesake. The city's website has the quintessential award-winning recipe and offers a self-guided tour where you can taste the many variations and celebrate the chocolatey history of Canada. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that one did not surprise me at all. Yeah, it's just uh, unlike the other things on the list, though, it's not a retail product. Although, no, again, it's just more of a thing that people make, and every store has its own different version of it. Yeah, you go to a coffee shop. Um, I don't mm. think Tim Hortons sell it, but a lot of coffee shops would have, you know, you could buy uh, an oat cake or uh, whatever, or an Nanaimo bar or mm. a chocolate chip cookie. They're just so common here. Yeah. Um, if and any- delicious. Yeah, if any listeners from outside of Canada are interested in any of these products, I suggest you contact a Canadian friend. Uh, I would say if you're going to try any one of these, the Coffee Crisp is kind of oh the one yeah, sign up for it. that's the one that again was a shocker to me that that it didn't exist outside of here. And if people really want one and they can't find a Canadian send it, to send it to them, contact me and I'll try to make it happen. Mm, yeah. All right, Aaron. Well, we've uh, we've had a busy night, but mm-hmm. I think I think we survived it. Yeah, we, we made it through and, uh, you know, it was it was a jam-packed episode. Do you feel a little better about being a Canadian given the fact that we have access to some of those delicious treats? I'm super craving a coffee crisp right now. Uh, what like, I want to do is I want to go to Vancouver, get a bunch of magic mushrooms. And eat coffee crisp? At the thing that... Well, that the weird the magic mushroom market. Yeah, get them get at the burnt. magic mushroom market. Go to get the coffee yeah. crisps. Head over to Calgary. Sit and look at and, and sit and mess with and, the uh, and braille. text penis to the art installation. Yeah, how's that sound? How's that sound? We'll buy the whole sounds thing like with fake toonies. Whole, sounds like yeah. It sounds like I got our whole vacation planned out. You awesome. and I. All right. Well, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's get plane airfare arranged. Hopefully, we can pay in toonies as well for the plane tickets. But yeah, we'll figure that out. Anyway, let's wrap this up, buddy. All right. Until next time, Aaron. Until next time, Jordan. How do you like your coffee? Crisp. 
I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I for our Keep Canada Weird discussion. But before we part, I want to get some thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to the Internet's favorite cult leader, Unicol, who supplied the intro and outro voiceovers. But the most important thanks goes to every one of you listening, as without your interest and your support, nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you listen on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full collection of back episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttime podcasts. Now let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Kelly, Rachel, and Don, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to contribute a voice memo for Aaron and I to respond to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com contact. We both hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other. Hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Coffee Crisp, you are more than a candy bar. Your layers of wafers so crisp, so light, with a chocolatey coating that tastes just right. A center of coffee cream that's so bubbly it's light as a dream. Then layers upon layers are all stacked and in a chocolatey coating you're wrapped. Coffee Crisp, you're more than a candy bar. You're a nice light snack. That's what you are.